Hello, it's me, Clara Ampho, and in anticipation, I hope so, I'm anticipating it, I hope you are too, of the third series of This Sissy coming later on this year, I thought I'd drop a special mini-series featuring some incredible guests that I just couldn't wait to share with you. So, in this three-part series, I will travel through London with some of our nearest and dearest Londoners and adopted lovers of the city. For this episode of This City, I am absolutely delighted to have somebody on who is best known for playing a character based in New York. But let me tell you, this man loves London. Now, most of the world fell in love with him for his incredible role as Pray Tell in the hit series Pose, which is on its third and final series. For all the theatre nerds out there, you would know him for his turn as Lola in Kinky Boots on Broadway. And most recently, you'll be able to see him as he plays Fab G, aka The Godmother in Cinderella, the remake that's coming out very soon. He's an incredible actor, singer, and now published author. And it was just lovely to spend time talking to him as we recorded this. In fact, this was done the night before he was about to give out a Brit Award. So people, enjoy this, the brilliant Billy Porter. Well, 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 what a delight, a delight it is to have this week's guest on This City. I think our first international guest, you know, um, from you New York. Here I am? I believe so. What a delight. Billy Porter, welcome to This Hi. City. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? And welcome back to the UK. You know, it's just been really great. I've, I've, I've been... Um, you know, doing writing sessions over Zoom with my new music. I've been finishing my memoir. So, like, I've been very, very productive, and that is great. And I love London. London is like, you know, I'd like to call it a second home eventually. Okay. What kind, what kind of neighborhood are you looking at? Are you going bougie West London? Are you coming to East, South, North? I don't know it well enough yet. That's why I say, like, so, like, I want to spend more time here and then see where my flat is going to happen. Because I need to have a flat in Latin. Did people say flat? I Latin. Well, I said flat. Okay. I know that's what y'all say. Okay, all right. Okay, I love the fact that you are, that you are adapting, you're adapting the lingo already. You're, 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 ready to, you're ready to be one of us. Um, talk to me about the first time that you visited London. Do, do, do you remember it? The first time I visited London was in probably 2002-2003. I was doing a residency at the Public Theater in New York under the tutelage of George C. Wolfe. Some of you might recognize his name as the director of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom this year with Viola Davis. He's a institution. He is one of my heroes. And he was coming over here with most deaf and Jeffrey Wright to remount a production of Susan Laurie Parks's Top Dog Underdog. And I came over with them for that remounting to assist him in putting it up. Um, and so that was my first time here and I fell in love then. And then, you know, i didn't come back again until, I guess, 2016. 
and we had met a couple of uh, we met a couple. My husband and I met a couple on um, an Atlantis cruise, a gay cruise, and we just became friends on the cruise. And they said, um, "You know, come and visit us in London anytime. You're, you know, our house is yours." So when I decided to propose to my husband, I called those bitches up, and I was like, <laughs> "Were y'all serious?" <laughs> Because daddy needs to come to London and propose to my boyfriend. And so I proposed to my boyfriend. I, I proposed to my husband um, at City Social. Okay. Um, overlooking the city um, at the end of 2016, December 2016. So it feels, you know, like an adopted home to me already, even though I haven't spent that much time here. Um you know, there's just something about the energy, the people. Maybe it's just because it's different. Maybe it's because I'm not a citizen, so I don't care about the politics. I don't know. <laughs> let me let me sit right here, that one. <laughs> where you are know, the politics? You know what I mean? Because it's like the whole world has gone bust. The whole world has gone mad. It's not just America. I know that shit is going on here too. So don't get it twisted. Like I'm not, you know, I know. Um, I think it's safe to say that the world universally is full of love, but the world is also universally a mess. And that's mm-hmm. okay. I mean, it's not okay, but we're all in the same boat. Well, yeah, and we have to figure out how to hold space for all the things so that we can as individuals show up to be the change that we want to see. You know, if we're exhausted or tired or, you know, worn out, we can't do the work that's required. You know? I hear that. I I hear that. Well, look, I want to talk to you about the last time you were in London because, I mean, you tore shit up. Everybody knows this. Fashion Week 2019, Fashion Week 2020. There was not a single front row that Billy Porter was not at. Like, you were just everywhere. Everywhere. And look, I know the phrase, we love to see it, um, has been, you know, just rinsed, as we say in the UK, like, forever. But, but, I mean, we did. Like, talk to me about that sort of, I guess, Billy and London explosion. Because it was just... It was a, it was fab to behold. You know, the whole fashion component of my career has been completely intentional. You know, I'm first generation post-civil rights movement in America. You know, I was taught that first impression is what you look like. And so you got to have on some cute clothes because that's the first impression before you even open your mouth. You're a black man in America. You need to look good so that people will treat you well. Mm-hmm. And that's not even a definite, you know? So like, and then I also grew up in the Pentecostal church, you know? And if you don't know, I'm telling you right now, Sunday's a fashion show. Every, <laughs> every Sunday at every black church in America is a fashion show is like the highest of couture fashions that you could ever believe. So, and then my grandmother was a seamstress and she would make, you know, she would buy the Vogue patterns and then make them all for the 
for the women in the family. And then I, little Billy, would always every year get an Easter suit and a Christmas suit for church. You know, and that was my favorite time. So the fashion thing was always a part of me. Um, the fact that when I got, when I booked Kinky Boots in America and um, understood that like, oh, I have to dress up every day because now there's social media. So when you come out the stage door, you have to be snatched up. You have to be snatching edges because people are taking pictures of you and wanting to take pictures with you that then get posted. So it, there was an unexpected um, training in doing kinky boots for three years and dressing up every day that sort of prepared me for what it's like to what other people have called me be a fashion icon. You know, it's a job. It's fun because I like wearing great clothes, you know, and it takes a lot of work, you know, and it was so fun to, um, cause I was changing also. In oh between, yes, you were. You know, I was changing in the, in the, in the, uh, car to then be in the outfit of the fashion show of the designer that I was going to. Okay, you know, this is good intel because I did wonder <laughs> how the fuck is he doing this? Because you're going from like Roxanda to like Richard Quinn to Halpern. Yes. I was like, how like how, is he got a fucking time machine or I was changing in the car, boo. I was changing in the car. Listen, I had a mark to make. You know, it's like I turned 51 years old last year. I've been in this business for 35 years. This is a part of it. And this is a, this, this is a, you know, I'm trying to have a 360 experience with the uptick, the resurgence, the finally the acknowledgement of my presence in this world. Finally, people are seeing me for me. You know, and it's brilliant and it's amazing. And it's my job to give the children what they need. And listen, the children are eating. The children are, <laughs> the children are well fed, well fed. Stomachs are full, give us more. No, <laughs> do you know, but no, I'm so glad you touched on this because I wanted to get into this further because I, I've loved to, I've loved watching your career pre-pose um because i think you are the definition of you know that phrase you know where there's it takes 10 years to be an overnight success you know mm. a lot of people sometimes just probably, 30 well they, well how about that that's the thing because you know a lot of people probably saw you at fashion weeks or they 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 learned about you via you know you playing pray tell some people were there from kinky boots some people were there with, with from, you know the, your initial recording career and to see mm -hmm. you lean into this 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 uh, this new recognition with such a plum and with no apology, it's really mm. it's really inspiring. Oh, thank you so much. It is. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I've been saying that I'm actually so grateful 
that all of this didn't happen when I thought I was entitled to have it happen. When my ego felt I should have had it, you know, because I'm talented and I'm fierce. It's like, but you're not ready. You know, for me, what I've discovered and realized pretty much over the last seven years in particular, but is that when you represent something new, when you're a first of something, a first, not maybe not the first, but a first of something, you know, i.e. the first Black man to win an Emmy for best lead actor in a drama series, the first gay man, period, the first Black gay man to win an Emmy for best lead actor in a drama series. It's something that you have to be ready for spiritually, psychologically, you know, and now these days with social media, it's like, I, I am so glad I'm 51 years old and don't give two shits about what people think about me. I don't care. You know, my mother used to say something when I was younger, you know, what other people think about me is none of my business. You know, it's, and my mantra all day, every day is I do not now, nor will I ever adjudicate my life or humanity in sound bites on social media. I won't ever do that. If I was younger in the generation of social media, I would lose my mind. I don't know how these kids do it. I don't know how these famous kids do it. I have so much more compassion and I already had compassion, but I have so much more compassion now. Now being in it, you know, and receiving all of it simultaneously, you're like, wow, okay. You got to be strong for this, kids. This is not for the faint of heart, this business. It's, a, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because social media, it's like this, um, it's this weird playground for an abundance of love, which comes from such a pure place. When people mm-hmm. are writing, you know, yes, underneath your picture, mm-hmm. giving you their likes, sending you messages, I'm sure, telling you about how your characters have like changed their lives, X, Y, Z. And, and that, I'm, I, I assume, is such a beautiful and pure experience. But then on the flip side, because I think for me anyway, and, and, and please, uh, you, you know, please let me know your thoughts, of course. Social media is such an inter- interesting space for projection, you know, negative mm-hmm. and, 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 and positive. Absolutely. And, and the irony is, is that ultimately all those opinions, good and bad, they kind of don't matter. They can be used as fuel in different ways, but they also don't matter. Does that make sense to you? At all. Mm. And when you're old enough to understand that, it becomes a different thing and you can work inside of the paradigm properly. Mm. I don't understand, you know, and this is no, this is with respect, you know, this idea that like online bullying is a thing. Like my bullies were in my face beating my ass in person. So words behind a screen, for me, at this age, I'm like, ah, okay. I, you know, but then I get to this place 
of whatever we're calling it, celebrity, you know, whatever. And I happened to get a glimpse of something bad in my heart. And it's like, oh, wow, okay, right. It doesn't matter, but it still hurts. It doesn't matter, and I'm still human. That's it. Like, once you can understand all of the tentacles, one can ground themselves. I'm grounded. I'm so grateful to be grounded. I can, no, I can, I, I, I feel that from you. But I think, again, that's why we enjoy you. I think on the red carpet and in those roles, because you can tell that you're free of giving a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, I think, but I think that's why we, listen, you tur- you've turned up to events with a hat that had a, that, you know, that revealed your face from like a flipping, <laughs> you know, Diamante curtain. You have, you, you've turned, you've, you've turned up, you know, where it, like being, you've turned up to the Met Gala being, you know, held by this, these incredible, beautiful men on a gold tray. <laughs> You know yes. that amazing Christian piece, like the, the the beautiful dress. Like this is a man who doesn't give a fuck, and and I think that's why people want to celebrate you so much. You know. Oh, it's very very sweet. And you know the conversation that I'm trying to have, though. You know, as a black queer man of a certain age who never had any support in that area, who never had any representation in that area. You know, I understand the calling that is on my life. I understand the purpose. I dare I say my ministry. You know, that's my language because I grew up in the church. This is my ministry. I'm reaching people in a different way and I'm spreading an energy that is about love. That's all I'm trying to do. That's all I've ever tried to do. You know, and the fact that I get to do it on this level, on this scale, at this time in my life is extraordinary. You know, I am just, you know, it takes my breath away. Every day I wake up, my, I, I, it's like every dream I've ever had is coming true. And I had impossible dreams, you know, and I, and and I, and I say, and I always, I talk about too, how Pose actually taught me how to dream the impossible and believe that the impossible is possible because with as huge as my dreams have always been, the reality is they've always been springboarded off of something that already existed. It was never, it doesn't exist, I'm the thing. That's it. It's like, one has to know that that's the purpose so that one's ego does not destroy that purpose. Because it's big. It's really, really big. It's huge, you know, and I have to understand that so that I can navigate 
through whatever the rest of this life is for me. Grounded and sane. I'm not trying to lose my mind for you, bitches. <laughs> you know what? You know what? You are a man <laughs> of my own heart. I always say to all of my friends and any of my friends in the industry, I'm like, I refuse to let this industry make me crazy. I refuse. No. I can't, I can't do no. it. I won't do it. Um, well, look, Pose, we need to talk about it. Yes, honey. You are coming to the third and final season. I mean, yes. all good things must come to an end, as they say. Yes. And all great mm-hmm. things happen in trilogies. Um, <laughs> look, I the, the thought of saying goodbye to to Pray Tell and the gang, like it just it it, it doesn't feel real for for for, mm-hmm. for all of us as viewers, so as actors, as your as your cast. Like, what what what's the what is the energy at the moment? It's bittersweet. Mm-hmm. The creator Stephen Canals and. Ryan Murphy had always intended for the story to extend and end at 96 when the anti-retroviral drugs came and people started living with, as opposed to dying from disease, you know, dying from AIDS. So we got there. That's literally what happened. It was that we got there and it's too important a show to extend it just because it's popular and people like it only to then have bad filler stories for no reason. You know, like leave while you're on top, leave while the impact is visceral. Mm -hmm. And then it goes down in history. You know, and I think... That is what's been great. The character of Tell for me personally, I lived through the AIDS crisis. You know, the antiretroviral drugs came in 96 and true to American form, everybody just moved on and acted as if it never even happened. So there's a whole generation of, of gay men who have never processed that trauma, who've never processed the grief of that. And um, I discovered through Pray Tell and Pose that I had not processed it. Interesting. I had not processed any of it. So this time and this space, art imitating life, allowed for me to understand, A, that there was trauma to process, and B, how to let this opportunity be a part of that processing. So would you say that being imposed has healed you? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm on the, pro- I'm on the road to healing more than I ever was. You know, I understand myself in a better, deeper than I ever have. Um, you know, I said, Pose may be ending, but this is but this is the rebirth of Billy. Mm. And it's time for me to tell a different story now. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited to tell a different story. You're gonna be a talking plant. 
<laughs> that actually is not happening anymore. Excuse me? Unfortunately, I know. Hey. Little Shop of Horrors got canceled slash postponed slash, I don't know. That one's, but there's so many other things going on. You know, Cinderella is coming out at some point. Yeah, because you've been spending time here filming that, right? Yeah, I, la the last time we saw each other, that that whole 2020 Fashion Week, I was here for Fashion Week and then shooting Cinderella right after Fashion Week. Talk to me about that experience. Oh, it was great. I was out at the, you know, what are those studios, the big studios where they shoot 007 here? Pinewood, Pinewood. 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 We were at Pinewood Studios and, you know, I got to fly in and, you know, when I was a kid in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you know, my dream was to be the male Whitney Houston. You've done as it. I was, as I was flying in, shooting opposite Camilla Cabello, I was like, I am playing the Whitney Houston part. I'm playing the Whitney Houston part. Impossible. Like, <laughs> what did I just say? Impossible. No, it's not. <laughs> Impossible things happen every day. Absolutely. They really do. They really yeah. do. Um, I want to talk to you about your stage career just because I remember going to the Adelphi Theatre in the West End to see mm -hmm. um, Kingy Boots. And mm -hmm. of course, you originated the role of Lola yes. on Broadway. Mm -hmm. um, have you got any aspirations to come to the UK and, and do a stint in, in theatre? Because I feel like... I do. I do have aspirations to come and do something in theatre. But you know what I would love to do is like come over and do something unexpected. You know, like come over here and do a new play at the National or come over here and star in a Shakespeare. You know, it's like, I want my Hamlet too. Okay. Just like, just like all the white boys get. I can do that too. You know what I mean? It's like, I want something like that. Something that is surprising. Something that catches people off guard because I'm a lot of stuff. Don't get comfortable with me because you might get your feelings hurt. There's a lot of stuff. Which leads me to, <laughs> to my next question, actually, because I, I I did wonder, obviously, since the the popularity of Pose and, you know, you, again, people, a lot of people got to know you like via your, um, your stint as Lola. Let me say, out of out of every five scripts you would receive or every five offers, how many of those offers were just like, we want you to be, uh, we, we've got a character and he's a gay black male and he's super feminine and da 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 da, da. Like, how, how stereotyped are the offers that come in for you? Or, or, is, or is that changing? Well, let me say this. Stereotypes exist for a reason, Right? The reason isn't always negative. It's what the stereotype is funneled through that turns it into something that might not be pleasing. When I think about, and I use Viola Davis very often as an example for how to embrace what is. She's a dark-skinned Black woman from Juilliard who, at the beginning of her career, you know, the only things available were she could play a, a lawyer on Law & Order, but she was either somebody's drug addict mother 
or a drug addict's mother mm-hmm. or a drug dealer's mother or a maid or, a, you know, and that can be really depressing. But what I watched her do at the beginning of her career with all the stuff before most people even knew who she was. She showed up and was the best version of that maid every time. She was the greatest version of whatever that stereotype was so that it blasted the stereotype apart. And the work became the focus. And then when it was time for the important film, the Oscar award-winning film about a maid, at the forefront, she was the only bitch to call. And she snatched it right up. Because she had embraced it. Because she had embraced what is. This is what is. This is historical. We can't move it forward until we br- embrace what is. So now look what she gets to do. You know, how to get away with murder as a dark-skinned Black woman in a role, in an, an archetype that is solely, solely before her and Kerry Washington set for white women. Period. You know, before Shonda Rhimes showed up <laughs> and Kerry Washington <laughs> and Viola Davis, who literally changed the, you know, it's like, but she was able to change it because she made a name for herself doing the stuff that it's like, I have to play the queen. Who else is going to play it better than me? As you see, nobody. I, I know that's right. That's my point. I know that's that's right. my point. And now, you know, including the straight men who were always cast in those roles for the years prior to when I could even get it. You know, and so now it's like, it's the work that is the focus. When the focus is on the work, then all of the other stuff comes. Now I'm getting so many different kinds of offers. I'm directing my first movie this summer. You know, I'm doing new music, you know, in the mainstream music world again. You know, I have a couple of films that I'm attached to that are, and they're all different. Mm. And everything is now stretching me and I'm, and I'm getting the opportunity to um, diversify everything. But that's because I embraced the present. I embraced what is here. I embrace who I am without apology, you know? And that has cracked open the 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 world for for me to be able to do other things and it it circles back beautifully to your original point about you being ready now at this age yes. because if this stuff had happened when yes. what were you were like 24 25 different story yeah. right totally different story and there was a space where you know i had a record deal on a&m records in 1995 1994 95 my first album came out in 97 r&b album you know I couldn't handle it because I let them manipulate me into being somebody I wasn't. And the album is good. Billy Porter, Untitled. I Can Sing the Phone Book. It's a great album. 
when you go on Spotify and you see the images that accompany the music, it's laughable. Now that you know who I am, for real, it's laughable. Who, who, are, you it's, pretend, who are you pretending to be there back then? Or who, who were you portraying back then? I wasn't trying to pretend to be anybody. It was just, I was just trying to be a team player. It was like, oh, well, I've never had a record deal before. So these people know better than me. So I probably should just do what they say and, you know, compromise after compromise after compromise over years and years and years, you end up with nothing of yourself. Mm. You know, and it's like, so the biggest lesson that I took away from that was when it, when it failed, it was like, oh, I didn't even get to fail as myself. I failed as somebody I don't even recognize. So why don't we fix that? <laughs> why don't I not do that anymore? <laughs> you know, and I set out on the quest to really figure out who you are, figure out who I am. Like, you really have to live long enough to figure out what that means. Mm. So many, you know, because we live in such an ageist world, especially in this business, so many people reach the pinnacle before they even know who they are. And then they have to figure out who they are under the spotlight of the public. Judging them for being human. I've had the opportunity, the blessed opportunity, to do all that shit behind closed doors. <laughs> So whatever you're seeing in front of you right now is exactly what I want you to see. Every move I make is intentional. Every decision I make is mine. It's mine. You know, you're not seeing anything that I don't want you to. And if it ever happens, I'm going to tell you. That was a mistake. That was not what I intended. You know, like... It is, whew, it's such a gift, you know, and people talk about it all the time growing older. And the reason why I talk about my age so much is because we live in such an ageist world and there should be no time limits on your dreams. I'm 51 years old. You 20 year olds come back and talk to me 25 years from now. If you're still here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you're still here, you know, I, I got some I got some stuff to say from a place of knowledge, from a place of having lived something. That's why Pray Tell connects so much. I lived it. I talk to a lot of people about, oh, well, how did you prepare it? How did you? My life was preparation. I was there. I know I look good because black don't crack. I, mean I was there. I came out in 1986. I was in the middle of it. There was a funeral a week for decades, more than one at a certain period. There was a time when I was going to memorial services three, four, five times a week. A week. A week. My goodness. That's how bad. And that's the gift 
of pose. And that's the gift that Pray Tell has been for me. And that's why I call it a ministry. That's why I call it my purpose. That's why I call it my calling, because I survived so that I could play Pray Tell and remind the world what happened. This happened in this generation. 20 years ago. It wasn't that long ago, y'all. You know, it's like I was alive for it. <laughs> and I'm only 51. I was alive for it when it happened. It's remarkable, you know, the power that we as artists have to heal. It really is. I'm in your ministry. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. There's so much power in, in, in what you say. Especially because of, well, yeah, just what you've explained. Like, for all intents and purposes, you shouldn't be, you know, the person you are. No. And where you are. And here you are, you know, chatting to me in one fancy apartment in, in, the, middle of, in the middle of London, where I'm <laughs> sure you can't walk around without being recognised. <laughs> it's actually a little bit easier here. Oh, is it? I, I do get a little recognized, but you know, not too much yet. It's all good. <laughs> I still, I still feel like that. Well, look, I'm waiting for that theater moment that you spoke about. You do deserve your Hamlet. Why not? And not Hamlet. I'm thinking maybe Time of Athens or something. Okay. Maybe Nicholas Heitner. Maybe Nicholas Heitner might be listening to this. Nicholas Heitner runs. He started his own company. He directed me in, um, in Miss Saigon, the original Miss Saigon. Okay. You know, he has his own theater company. Maybe I'll come over here at some point and do, you know, I don't know. I don't want to do Othello because that's, you know, that's expected. Exactly. I want to do something that's not expected. I'm trying to think. Yeah, we, we can't have you being Teen Angel either. You're, 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 no, that's fine. Yeah, no, we're done away from that. We're, you know, the thing is, is that I don't want to come and do a musical unless it's a new musical, right? Unless it's something brand new that I'm working on from the ground up. That then we'll go to New York or something. Like if I'm coming over here, I want to do something that nobody has seen me do before on stage. You know, like that's what I'm interested in: telling a different story. Right telling a new story. I've made a way for myself so I can tell a new story. Right um, Billy, I have to ask, in a bit of a gear change, every single person that comes on this podcast, I ask them what their, what their relationship is like with public transport. Because I know in the, in the States, New York in particular, you guys call it the subway. We call it the... Tube. Okay, that's right. The tube. <laughs> the tube. Do you still get public transport? And how was that experience for you? Okay, listen, I am a full-on gypsy. I rode the subway for as long as I could. Right before COVID, so 2019, I had been away for a while. I came back to New York, and I tried to get somewhere on the subway. I had a coat on, a scarf on, a hat on, sunglasses, earphones and my iPad reading on the train and I couldn't and people still and it was like okay so I think I I think 
the recognition has ticked up to the point where I sort of, and that sort of have to maybe bow out. I like public transportation because it's fast, mm. you know, and you get there, you, you know, you can get there quick in cities like London and New York. It's like, shh, 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 you get there faster than being in a car. Um, but then my husband and I moved, you know, we sort of got out of Dodge because of COVID and started renting a house um, out on what we call Long Island. Okay. And, um, you know, by by the beach and stuff. And we ended up staying and we bought a house. And so now, you know, I said to Pose. <laughs> Are you just I basically about to tell me that now you're a bougie bitch who doesn't get public transport anymore? Correct. Okay, that's what I thought. I'm a, I'm a high, mighty white woman living <laughs> in the country, you know, living in the country by the beach. And I told Pose, you know, and everybody who I work for now, Y'all got to drive me in. Y'all got to come pick me up and drive me in like I'm Joan Crawford. That's what I need. It's about an hour and 15 minutes from the city. I get a lot of work done. Like when I'm going into work, I get to meditate. When I'm coming back from work, I get to decompress, which is something that I didn't know I needed until COVID. It's been amazing. It's been amazing for me. It's been amazing for my relationship. Like it's, it's just... It's great and it's peaceful. I didn't know I needed peace. You know, December 27th of 2020 is 30 years that I had lived in Manhattan. That's a lot of noise. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's so amazing to be, you know, to be living this high, mighty white woman life, honey. It looks good on you, honey. It looks good on you. <laughs> Okay, before I let you go, what are the top three things on your London to-do list? Well, I'm going shopping tomorrow at Dover Street Market. Is it Dover Street Market? Oh, yeah, okay. High, high and fancy. We like it. Dover Street Market and um, Yoji Yamamoto. Okay. Because nobody really carries Yoji in America anymore in that way. Like, the stuff, you know, like... The good, good. And I'm, and I'm the kind of person who likes to choose a look per season and then I don't have to think about it. Right. Because fashion is my job as well. So I'm not trying to like, you know, right now I'm in, I have worn the same pair of um, Rick Owens jeans, black jeans with like pockets and shit all over it and a turtleneck and a Yoji Yamamoto long coat and a hat and some Valentino black boots for about three months. If it's working, it's working. Listen, I don't have time, baby. I switch out the turtlenecks. You know, I have another coat. I had a yo another Yoji coat, a big winter coat, you know, that's fluffy and stuff. I wore that every day. You know, it's like, I, I, I'm very, I'm much less than people think in my private life. Right. You know, like, it's my job. So I show up now for my job. Which is like to slay. So, you know. And the job is always I'm doing done. a subtle slay tomorrow night at the Brits. I'm well, yes, let's talk about Okay, so uh, when this goes out, the Brits would have happened. So I'll talk about it retrospectively. Yeah. But um, award ceremonies are always fab. Um, do, you, do you feel a pressure, by the way, to always turn up for them? Or do you feel like, listen, you're going to get what I give you and you're going to love it? You're going to get what I give you and you're going to love it. I can't have any more pressure in my life. I just can't. It's too much pressure. <laughs> I hear that. There's pressure everywhere. I'm trying to decompressurize shit. You know what I mean? 
it, it's life is good. I want to. I want to work from that space. Life is good. Billy Porter, um, I could talk to you all night, but I'm aware that you are a very busy man. You are the definition of booked and busy. Next time you booked, are in London... Busy and blessed, honey. Booked, busy and blessed. Um, next time you're in London, blessed. I feel like I need to take you out. I need to I need to show you yes, around. Yes, we need to go out when we can, you know, hug next again. We're going to go out and, like, have a good old time. Yes, I'm going to take you some, to some good, good... I don't... Are you, are you, do, you, do you still like to club? I club on occasion. Okay. You know, like coming to London and clubbing, you know, I'll do it like three, four times a year. Right. You know, just because I'm just too tired. Actually, the last time I saw you, you you were, you were deep in the club. <laughs> oh! Yeah, child. I've done way too many drugs. I did way too many drugs in the 90s. You know, it's like, I've done it. I, You know, but I do love the spirit and the energy of the club because it's about family. It's about chosen family. It's about fellowship. It's about inclusion, you know? So I do love that part of it. And I'm, you know, the music I'm working on right now, mm. it's very sort of influenced by the club. Well, so we can't wait to hear that. Get ready, Annie. We're ready. Billy Porter, coming. thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The City, a podcast dedicated to, in my humble opinion, the best city in the world. Now, don't forget, if you like what you've heard, tell your mates, give us a rating, and I'll be back with a full series in the autumn.